Hello and welcome to Locked On Astros, your daily Astros podcast. Here are your hosts, Eric the Man Heisman and Brett H-Town Wheelhouse Chansey. We are Locked On Houston Astros and we hope that you join us for a daily Locked On Astros podcast. My name is Eric Heisman. You can find me on Twitter at EricTalkStros. You can find the show at Locked On Astros, your team every day. And I'm just so excited. That's why I messed that up. The Astros actually won. They won a ball game. And this is a cool feeling. And I think the Rangers are currently losing. So maybe we'll get back into second place again and maybe make the playoffs. And speaking of playoffs, we're going to be talking about possibly playing the playoffs in a bubble. Plus, what did Lance McCullers almost do today? And when the heck can Jordan Alvarez come back? And we have a special guest. Brett, where can they find you on Twitter? And who is the special guest? Yeah, they can find me at H-Town Wheelhouse on Twitter and at Strohs411 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We had tonight, we will have after the recap, Blake Jameson. He's a street artist, has become famous recently with his Tops 2020 project art, and it was a phenomenal interview, so definitely stay tuned for that. Okay, so guys, I know that you know where to look us up, and we've had a lot of people that actually have shared where they listen to our podcast at, so what we're going to kind of do is kind of do a shout-out. If y'all give us Locked On Astros a shout-out on Astros Twitter or Twitter in general, just where you listen to the Locked on Astros podcast, we'll call some names out on the podcast, and that way we'll give you a shout-out as well. So do you have a couple names for us tonight, Brett? Yes, I do. I have. I know one, we have a favorite of the show who, who listens to our show, I would almost say religiously, his name is actually Rip Griffin. He actually listens from Victoria, Texas. We have Steven Leonardi, who listens from Philly, and you can find him at Leonardi 11 Also, we have 49ers Camelot. At 49ers Camelot, listen to us from Valparaiso, Indiana. And there's going to be more. So thank you all for listening to Locked on Astros. And I know that a lot of y'all were watching Lance McCullers and everybody probably had their fingers crossed and everybody was trying to avoid using the word no hit except for all the Astros beat writers and media personalities because they think it's a big joke. But it's something that us fans, we do when when something's going on. I mean, I know what I say is not going to interfere with Lance McCullers, almost no hitter, but it's just give that to us. Okay. We only have 60 games this year. The Astros have a currently have a losing record. Just give us the no hitter thing and don't rub it in our faces. Brian McTaggart and Chandler Rome and Jay Kaplan and everybody else. But it was a good game. It was like uh, McCullers finally figured his stuff out. And I know I'm pretty sure he, he had a high ERA before the game. He dropped it all the way down to 610, seven innings, only one hit allowed. And I think Ryan Spader, the ace of Spader, said that that could have been ruled a double, I mean, a error. I don't think so, but it could have been ruled an error. But he did have five strikeouts. He pitched really good. I believe he threw how many pitches? 86 pitches. And that's definitely his highest on the season. I was impressed. Josh James, not quite so much. 
much. No, definitely. Josh James and Presley. Presley was trying to go out in style, I guess. I mean, he, he gave it two hits. The runs, unfortunately, were all tagged to Josh James. He definitely made it closer than it should have been. So Lance McCullers, seven innings and a third pitch with only one hit ball and five strikeouts was definitely his best outing. He looked good. His stuff was moving. I think he was a little upset that Bregman missed that ball, but there wasn't much Bregman could do. That ball was a screaming worm burner head down the left field line, and not many third basemen are going to get that. The bottom line is this. Even if he makes that catch, I don't know that he gets him out. I think he's probably safe at first. Altuve batting 183. We're giving Josh Reddick uh, crap earlier while we're watching a game together, and he's batting 268 right now. Bregman's batting 224. Brantley's 304. Gurriel's 274. Correa is batting 345. A lot of people, and I think we talked about this, a lot of people have said we should move him up in the batting order. I'm not so sure about that, but at the same time, Reddick should not be up batting second. And I said this on the last podcast. I'm going to say it again. Uh, Then Kyle Tucker. I didn't realize how bad his batting average is. It's down to 190 with a 557 OPS. That's not good. Martin Maldonado is batting 194, but he did have a big fly today. And the Astros needed that because they they got way too close in the ninth inning. And then Miles Straw is just in there temporarily till George Springer comes back. And I think that he did take batting practice today. He did ha- see a hand specialist to see uh, if they can uh, possibly avoid the IL. And I think what they decided to do was ha- have him still rest a little bit, but kind of test it out today. So that's why he did batting practice. So that's some good news. Um, I know we talked about Osuna hitting IL, and that's pretty much for the rest of the season, guys, uh, unless maybe in playoffs. This team is not healthy, and once this team gets healthy, I think you'll see a much better production. But at the moment, it's not no bueno. Yeah, and I had mentioned this on Twitter, and I'm wondering if this is going to happen. Whenever Diaz comes back, I think you need to sit out two a game or two. I think he needs a mental break. He just His last strikeout, Eric, looked really bad. The pitch he swung at wasn't even a rising fastball. It started high. When you see Altuve slam his bat down or slam his helmet down, he's he's inside his own head. He is He is pressing, and I really think that this whole thing is taking a toll. And I'm not saying we should feel sorry for them and opposing fans. I'm not saying that, you know, they're like all karma and all this stuff, whatever. Bottom line is he's one of the best hitters in the league. He still outpaces Pete Rose this at this point in his career for career hits. So we know he can do it. We've seen him in slumps before, but this isn't like a slump he's had in the past. This is a mental thing. He needs a break. He needs a break. He needs to get back in the swing of things. We need Alvarez back. Yeah, and I was talking about that while we're watching game. I said this lineup desperately need Alvarez, and uh, you're like, well, um, if the guys will hit, I'm like, yeah, but the guys will get more pitches to hit if Alvarez is in the lineup, and uh, you will have more RBI opportunities and more uh, RBI opportunities for him. And I think once this team gets healthy, namely Alvarez, and I know that James Click uh, said that Jose Arquiti is – possibly an option for long relief or maybe starting rotation down the road. But if you're going to stretch him out to be a starter, that means he's not going to be here uh, very soon. 
And I think uh, Tim Kirchin on ESPN said that he talked to Dusty Baker, and Dusty Baker said that he's got a, he he wants to see Alvarez get twenty to thirty more uh, at bats in uh, the in Corpus, whatever we're calling that, the alternative training site. And uh, once he does that, he could be coming back. So that could be anywhere between five to seven, eight days. Who knows what's going on there? But yeah, the Astros need some help. But it was so good to see Lance McCullers just take care of business today, bounce back after two bad starts. And in his last start, I believe, was that where he almost had a no-hitter and then he kind of imploded in the uh, fourth inning, if I remember correctly, gave up eight runs. But uh, he just looked like a totally different pitcher. And uh, and it's good to see Maldonado do something. But uh, there's a lot of low batting average in this uh, lineup. No, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I know we're kind of bagging on the offense. The offense has been actually abysmal outside They did Korea. score six runs today, so I, I feel like we're right. ragging it's, on them, but yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. They scored six runs, but when they scored four runs in the third inning, they were, it was only on two hits. Because and the three other errors, like, I think. Or, yeah, three I don't errors, know if fielder's I'll, choice, yeah. all that stuff. But Bregman has reached base safely in 31 consecutive games dating back to last September. Um but, you know, he has this 743 OPS well below his career mark, which is 905. And so what we have to focus on right now are the little successes, the small successes. And that's what Dusty Baker has to get this club to focus on. This this club has been hampered by injuries. This club has been hampered by having to field pitchers that would not be in the major leagues if this were a normal season. That's what a lot of people don't realize. And when people are throwing shade, people are hating on our team, I get it. You just got to have a villain. That's fine. We'll be your villain. But you've got to have some common sense about this. These guys are young. A lot of these guys are unproven. Even Christian Javier, as great as he is with his quote-unquote invisible and his speed and his electricity on the mound, he's still a young pitcher. Kyle Tucker Y'all, he hasn't really had a chance. This is his first, like, full season to really get out there, and it's a pandemic 60-game season. So Kyle Tucker really hasn't had a chance. And I know everybody's like, whatever, he's had enough chances. He really hasn't. All right, so I know that we have Mike Clevenger and Zach – what's his name? Um, Zach. Please, Zach. Please, Zach. Is that what his name is? Okay. All right, I know that is two-fifths of the Indians' rotation, and they are, I guess, on the sidelines because they violated protocols. And maybe if they're thinking clearer, maybe they wouldn't have made that decision to go out. So what is a way that uh, maybe these two pitchers can kind of think clearer and help have a better time focusing on doing the right thing? And whether you're Mike Clevenger, who wants to break the rules and then play like it's not a big deal, or you're a stay-at-home parent, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair, or you want to teach a minor league pitcher how to throw a curveball while you're walking to first. Well, lucky for you and our friends at CBDMD, they have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, recharge, and focus while you're on a nine- or ten-game suspension. CBD Freeze and Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints and convenient and easy-to-use roller and shareable squeeze tube. CBD Recover combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B12, B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. 
to make it easier. They're offering both of these topicals and everything else at CBDMD with 25% off for our listeners for your next order. Use the promo code locked on MLB and check out. Once again, CBDMD.com promo code is locked on MLB for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Alrighty, since you brought it up, I guess we got to talk about the whole awkward situation. And uh, we actually talked to our next guest about that as well. But I know that uh, the umpires from yesterday's game, and I believe that they're following the Astros. They're like stalking the Astros. They're going on road trips. And I guess they're doing that. They're just picking one team and just kind of going with that. But uh, the umpires were on the flight with the Astros yesterday. So can you imagine uh, Dusty Baker trying to go to the restroom or something and uh, seeing umpires being like, yo, what's up? Um, so, um, but anyway, uh, so I know that there's been a lot of talk about what's going to happen and there's no decision yet about suspensions and who's going to get it. I think MLB is still looking at the videos, even though it's pretty clear that Alex Centrone said something and he was remorseful, according to Dusty Baker, and they've had a closed doors, uh, benches, um, a bench meeting or something like that, a manager's meeting. And they, they talked about it, and I think Centrone knows that as a leader, he can't be putting himself in that situa- situation. But according to Jeff Pazan, he confirmed what Jose, what Jose De, or, De Jesus Ortiz kind of said the day before that uh, Centrone made a comment about his mother. But Centrone denies this, and I know that before I kind of ask your opinion, I did love that uh, Ramon Laureano said that he actually was glad that Dustin Grineau actually tackled him. And he said that that probably was the best thing to happen. And he said he's a good teammate, even though they, they were teammates last year. He felt like he was still looking out for him. And like when uh, Grineau actually tackled him, he said, are you OK? And then as uh, Ramon Laureano's on the floor, it, like after being tackled, he's like, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> so it, it was just, um, it was a weird situation, but I'm glad that everybody's, hopefully there's not any uh, holdover in the next series versus the A's. Yeah, exactly. Well, Centrone denies talking about Laureano's mother. Of course he does. You know, it's a, this is a classic he said, he said situation. He said, she sexes two guys. But, um, you know, get our pronouns right. But the thing is, with Centrone, the fact that he is waving Liriano to him, kind of hiking up his pants a little bit, almost like getting in the linebacker stance, it does seem that it would be inevitable that no matter how much remorse Centrone has, that he will have some sort of penalty. I'm thinking the penalty for Centrone might even be more than what they're going to give Liriano because he's a coach. And he incited Coaches. it, you know, sort of, yeah. ish. <laughs> well, but he's held to a higher standard because yeah. he's in a leadership role. He's not a player. It's, you know, um, bottom line is this. I'll break it down for you. Liriano should have just taken his base. He can be pissed off all he wants to, maybe jabber a little bit, but he was very demonstrative. And he wasn't just demonstrative to the pitcher. He was kind of like to everybody. As much as he says he loves everybody, it sure is hard for me to see that love that he had for the Astros when he was walking to first base. He wouldn't shut his yapper. Centrone was pissed off in the moment. I don't know if you notice this in the background, 
Brent Strom is like sitting there looking at like pitching notes or something on the, <laughs> I, I guess on the iPad or whatever. But I'm like, wait, like Brent Strom wasn't even phased. Like he didn't even, he was like, whatever guys, come on. This is, this, this is such a screwed up year. I just thought that was great. He just, he's kind of like the Phil Jackson of baseball coaching. He just kind of sits back and takes it in. So at the end of the day, MLB is going to do what they do. Nobody's going to be happy with it. Everybody's going to play the victim role for the A's. They're going to say that they're acquiescing to the Astros, and they still aren't giving them penalties. At the end of the day, I don't care. Let's move on. We need to get into second place. We need to get back into first place. It can be done. Miracles have happened. And so we just need someone to walk on water for us for about seven days, figuratively speaking, in the baseball world so that we can get back on top. Yeah, this is H. John Wheelhouse, and we have a special guest with us tonight, Blake Jamison, recently made famous with his Tops 2020 project art. He is a street artist, and Blake, we want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so Blake, let's just get started here. Give us a little bit about, about your background. It looks like you went to college in California. You studied some economics, some business. You were basically an artist for seven years. I noticed that you took a tour of Barcelona um, that really influenced your artwork. You noticed street art there. Give us some of your background to the fans so they know exactly who we're talking to tonight. Yeah, sounds good. So I grew up in a very creative household. I've been creating for as long as I can remember, as long as I could walk. And my parents actually is kind of the opposite stories you usually hear. My parents were very encouraging and uh, pro art school. And I had kind of convinced myself that art school wasn't a viable career path. So like you mentioned, I studied economics at UC Davis. And I was thinking that I'd get into something that was more of a quote unquote serious career. And so after college, I got into digital marketing, which went really well for me. And it also provided enough creative stimulation for me to be excited about it for uh, about a decade. And I was able to work with some amazing clients do some awesome work. But ultimately, on my 30th birthday, I decided that I wasn't happy doing that digital marketing career, decided to leave that and went to Barcelona for five weeks. And it was in Barcelona that I kind of rediscovered my passion for art, specifically kind of street art, which inspires the type of things that I create today. And as soon as I came back from Barcelona, I was full-time artist. And now it's been about six years. And it's been a really fun journey. Obviously, it's a roller coaster. But I've been very fortunate in that I've been able to work with a lot of amazing companies and, you know, like now with Tops. And also having the background in digital marketing has kind of given me a competitive advantage in the, in the art space because I've never had a hard time promoting and selling my art. Yeah, that's amazing to hear. I know here in Houston, we have quite a street art scene that has popped up over the last, I'd say, five to ten years. Um, we've yeah. got the famous Be Someone, you know, painted over... I-45 and I-10 as it splits going into Houston. And, you know, we have various artists that have done things. And so this city, we have a big art district here. One of the yep. things I noticed in your background is um, basically growing up in the 80s and in the 90s, you were a big Bash Brothers fan. Now, I'm a big Bash Brothers fan myself. Mark McGuire has always been and will always be my favorite baseball player of all time. And I know I'm the one of the Locked On Astros hosts, but yeah. Mark McGuire will always be my guy. And mm -hmm. I noticed one of the one of the most neat cards that you've done I liked was the 1987 Mark McGuire. And before I get to that, um, I do notice that you've done several music artists that you've painted Morrison, yep. Prince. What is it about these artists that 
I mean, do you just pick guys that you like the most that influenced you growing up? Yeah, I mean, it's a mix. A lot of what I do within my art career is commissioned work. So most of my income, especially pre-Top Project 2020, most of my bills were paid by people would hire me to paint a specific thing. And so some of the music portraits that I've done, I did a, a biggie portrait for a client. I've done a Drake painting for a client. So some some of the art, some of the uh, musicians that I painted has been commissions, and some of it is just people that I wanted to paint. Uh, so it's just kind of a mix. Very cool. Now, did you stumble into the to the Tops 2020 project? Was it something that you sought out, or was it someone something that someone came to you and said, "Hey, you'll fit with this project we're doing. We're doing this great creative project." And we just think you're one of the guys we would love to to feature some of the best cards, you know, yeah. in Topps history. Yeah. yeah, great question. The short answer is Topps found me. And I'm very feel very lucky and grateful to be part of the project. But I had been focused on the athlete portrait part of art for the last three years. And so Topps actually found me because of some work that I had done uh, with the Premier Lacrosse League. I played lacrosse in college. And when the Premier Lacrosse League started, I reached out to the two founders and offered to do a, some art for free for them for their headquarters. And they took me up on it. And I've done that a lot throughout my art career where I'll reach out to people that I'm a big fan of and do a little bit of work for free. And it always tends to pay off on the back end. And so in that case, I did a couple paintings for lacrosse players. And that's how Tops found me. And they reached out on my website and just said, hey, we have a project we'd love to talk to you about. And when we got to chatting, it just seemed like a great fit for the type of art that I create. All right. Uh, I'm just somebody who doesn't really know a lot about the tops 20 project. Can you kind of explain what that is and what are, what are y'all doing with this project? Yeah, of course. So tops has curated a group of 20 different artists from a, a lot of different industries. Like I'm a painter and there's a handful of painters, but there's also graphic designers and people that are in fashion or like Ben Baller, who's primarily known for his work in jewelry. So they've curated 20 different artists to reimagine 20 iconic Topps baseball cards. And so each of us artists are creating the same 20 cards. So there's 20 different Ken Griffey Jr. cards, 20 different Mark McGuire's, but they're all based on the same kind of reference card. And oftentimes it's the rookie card. It's not always the case, but if you look at the 20 kind of reference cards that the project is based on, it's a lot of rookie cards. And it's fun because, like, I grew up collecting baseball cards with my dad. And so from, like, 1985 to 1995, we have every single card that was printed across all of the different card manufacturers. And if we look within tops of that decade, it's, like, it covers, like, about half of the cards within Project 2020. So it's amazing to go now and be, like, recreating cards that I grew up collecting with my dad. It's just – it's unreal, man. I can't even explain what it feels like. Yeah, that's amazing. My father and I also grew up – I grew up in the same era. I think I'm a little bit older than you, but we grew up and we literally have my dad. When he started collecting complete sets, he started in 1980. Actually, we didn't start till like 85, 86, but he went back to 80. And then we even have the old Fleer sets, the old Donner sets. And that's awesome. like you said, that's got to be surreal. These cards that you grew up collecting, putting in binders, trading with friends. Now you're yep. like, you're like signing the cards and mailing yep. them to people. You're 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 recreating cards that you probably have in your collection. That that's just like a dream yeah. come true. And I didn't mention this earlier. If y'all want to find Blake Jamison um, on 
on Twitter, you can go to at Blake Jamison. And then also on YouTube, if you look up his name, Blake Jamison, I've actually watched a couple of your live shows. You stream every night, Monday through Friday. It says at 1023 Eastern Standard Time. And That's it's right. actually pretty interesting watching. I was watching one night um, one of your streams, and I don't know if it was Tony in the background, but apparently y'all have a little friend in the studio and he was trying to catch it, or he's kind of freaked out by this. Is it like a Ratatouille-type little character that's yeah. running around there? Yeah, so we have uh, – so Max the Mouse was a studio mate for a while, although we actually at one point – and I don't remember – it didn't happen on a stream. It happened off stream, but I talked about it the following night. I actually was able to capture him. He had deep dove into the trash can, going digging for gold, and I was able to take him out to the street and set him free. And so – uh, yeah, we have uh, we had a friend in the studio. He is now roaming the streets of New York, hopefully partying with his other mouse friends. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I have to ask, uh, I know you're from the California area. What team did you grow up rooting for? Oakland A's. Uh. And as, as, uh, <laughs> you know, where I grew up north of San Francisco and Marin County, we're kind of equidistant to what now is AT&T Park. Uh, at the time, they were the Giants were playing at the Coliseum, or not at the Coliseum, uh, Candlestick. And we literally, like, we had season tickets to the A's. And I asked my dad recently, I'm like, why do we have season tickets to the A's and not the Giants? And he said, because Candlestick was just too cold. And so literally, it was like a temperature, like, just comfort choice. And we chose the A's. But, like, honestly, I'm an A's fan. I'm a Giants fan. And now, because I've painted for so many different athletes across so many different teams... And I've seen my clients that I painted for get traded from team to team that I'm just like a player fan. And I, I enjoy all teams. I'm a fan of every team. But, yeah, I mean, A's and Giants are my OGs. Okay, so I, I'm sure you saw what happened yesterday in the Astros versus A's game, the whole yeah. Ra Ramon Laureano. If you could paint yeah. anything, any picture from that game, the whole fight, uh, what what moment would you pick? I mean, man, when he was charging the mound, he was so fired up. Uh, I think that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, or even just the whole scuffle after. Like, I just think it's like, it's interesting, you know, and it's fun. You know, definitely. And so, so we basically, we know that, you know, Oakland's always a team that's really there. Um, yep. Oakland is a team that's competitive. They're scrappy. Um, yeah. You know, they've they've got the drums in the outfield. Um, I have a friend that I work with that actually was was in um, Oakland whenever the earthquake hit in 1989. Um, yeah. One of the one of the coolest pieces of sports memorabilia that I have is a Battle of the Bay poster that was a that was a poster in a locker in a foot locker. And I asked, it was just a promo poster. They were taking it down. I said, hey, can I have that? Because I was a big Mark McGuire fan, and they gave it to me. So I yeah. still have that in a frame. Um, That's awesome. Do you remember the earthquake, 1989, or was that, was that before or after your time? I don't, I don't know because so, I'm a little there. older. Uh, so I was four years old in 89. So I don't have memory of it. I know my dad does. But, uh, yeah, I mean, personally, like, Honestly, from all of the early, early games, I love seeing all the photos. I love hearing the stories from my parents, but like actual cognitive memory, I don't have any from that time. Sadly, I was just too young. I feel a lot older after hearing how old you were in 1989. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so um, I, I know that you're an A's fan. Uh, besides Mark McGuire, has there been any player that kind of stuck out to you over the years? Uh, so, I mean, I like the Bash Brothers, Jose. Canseco and Mark McGuire were my guys growing up. I also 
I mean, I loved Ricky Henderson, but that was more because of what I heard my dad tell me about him. Because when I was going to games, he had already been traded to the Yankees. So I kind of missed that um, that run. And then when I decided to become a full-time artist, I actually moved from Phoenix, Arizona at the time at the age of 30 back with my parents. And I know that that's like maybe to some people weird to like move in with your parents at age 30. But for me, it was like the most comfortable, easy, awesome thing. And like my parents are so supportive and creative. And that was right during the time when the Giants were having their – kind of dynasty years every other year they were contenders or winning the world series and so i became a big buster posey fan and i still am to this day so So i'd say he's my other uh favorite so have you done any paintings of buster or for buster posey like um just to kind of wrap things up being being involved in the in the tops project or just being involved in in the art world have you been able to come in contact with some of these athletes that you that you look that you looked up to or that you maybe look up to now. I, I noticed that you had a few of your Mike Trout cards that were signed by Mike Trout. That's right. Yeah. So I actually painted Buster Posey very soon after coming back from Barcelona, like very, very early during my uh, professional athlete or, or, or professional art career. I did a Buster Posey and I actually put the stencil up in a few spots in San Francisco And pretty shortly after that, I decided to stop doing art in the streets and was just doing it on canvas because it's less illegal and it's easier to sell. uh, And, you know, for a handful of kind of strategic reasons. So I did paint Buster. I didn't do it for him. It was just kind of for fun. Um, But in terms of contacting other athletes, one of the coolest moments, honestly, of my entire life is shortly after my Mark McGuire card came out with Project 2020. It was covered in the ML in MLB.com. And Mark McGuire happened to be reading MLB.com. It was on the homepage. He saw it. They linked to my YouTube live stream. He watched one, and I was telling the story about growing up, idolizing him, and kind of the interactions that I had had with him and my parents as as a kid. And he emailed me, and we actually got on a phone call, like literally, like by the end of the day after my Mark McGuire card released, like Mark called my phone, and we had like a 20-minute chat. He was so nice. It's always great when you meet your heroes and they live up to all your expectations. And that was totally the case. And beyond that, I mean, I've talked to I'm talking to Ricky Henderson about doing some dual autos. I've talked to Doc Gooden uh, through this project. And so I've definitely started to connect with some of the other athletes within the project. But even before Project 2020, I had painted for about 350 professional athletes, most of which were in the NFL. And almost all of those paintings were for the players themselves. Uh, so I got to talk to them in some capacity and everyone's a little bit different. I did a, a really cool charity auction with Drew Brees and we raised a bunch of money for uh, a charity that he was super passionate about. Um, I've gotten to work with, I mean, really cool athletes, Donovan Mitchell, uh, from the jazz. He's super nice dude. I've done a handful of paintings for him. Um, and then, I mean, there's also a lot of athletes that like I'm in very close contact with like CJ Anderson was the first NFL player I've ever painted. And I think he has like half a dozen paintings and like we text every couple weeks, uh, you know, not not every day or anything, but like we talk regularly and it's just really cool. Like these guys are beyond what they do on the field, which is amazing. Like they're really good people and it's super fun to build those relationships. Man, Blake, I love hearing those stories. We do appreciate that. We appreciate you sharing, you know, going back into the past, letting us know where you're from and really kind of getting the word out to to the to the Houston Astros fan base. Um, For sure. 
you know, and, you know, hopefully in the future we can, you know, have you back on, talk to you some more, just maybe even just talk baseball. But, um, yeah, if just I'll tell you what, I'd love to get Jordan to painting. I hear you. Oh man, let me tell you, that would be awesome. And if you do, if you do the painting for him, if you need a security guard, I'm your man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But Hey, um, you know, Blake, thank you for, thank you for coming on. Could you let, could you let the locked on audience know where to find you online? Yeah, so if you just want to talk or have a question, Twitter's the best spot, twitter.com slash Blake Jameson. Jameson is J-A-M-I-E-S-O-N. And then I also sell autographed versions of my top 2020 cards at proathletportraits.com. And then lastly, I'm on YouTube every night, Monday through Friday, 10, 23 p.m. Eastern, youtube.com slash Blake Jameson. All right, one more thing. Who wins the AL West this year, the A's or the Astros? Uh, I mean, you got to, I got to go with the A's, man. I know it's not going to make me popular, but I got to stay true to the homeboys. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us. And, uh, we look forward to that Alvarez painting up in the future and, uh, make sure you tell people you uh, came on locked on Astros. <laughs> for sure. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you. All right, that was a great interview and great show, great game all around. And uh, we were going to talk about this, but we got sidetracked like normal. But uh, they did announce that there could be a possibility of a MLB bubble playoffs where they basically just play at uh, like two or three different locations and, and kind of narrow down. That way they can kind of do what the NBA and the NHL is doing. But we'll have to talk about that tomorrow. And guys, thank you for listening. And as always, uh, make sure you check us out every day and go like us or uh, what's that? Give us a positive feedback on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And make sure you go check out the new Locked On Prospects with ARAM. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.